0: Good day and welcome to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. I am your host with the very most real estate information for you. So today on the Camloops Insider Podcast, we're going to be talking about top 10 mistakes commonly made by first time homebuyers. So this is a homebuyer alert. If you're out there thinking about purchasing a property, this might be a great podcast for you to listen to or maybe if your friend or someone you know is about to make the decision to, uh, jump out there in the housing market, get them to uh, click on this podcast to check it out. Um, These are mistakes that can be made by literally anybody um, in the real estate market. But typically, first-time homeowners commonly make the most mistakes just simply because they don't know. So, uh, And this is in no particular order, but I'm going to start with the very first one, which is not using a real estate agent in their purchase. Now, this has trouble written all over it for several reasons, but let me, let me break it down like this. Um, there is one, two, three, four different components that a real estate agent is going to bring to your transaction. Okay. The first one's going to be the negotiation process. And in that we're talking about making sure that you're getting the property for the right price, understanding the value and the value might have other intricacies like, uh, what the neighbor, what the, what the subdivisions going through, Maybe it's growing um, in popularity and there might be some hidden value that's on its way to that subdivision. Uh, Maybe it's going the other way because there's a lot of crime going on in the property. Or maybe there's a new school getting built um, and your local city has plans for a school in the neighborhood. Anyways, what I'm getting at is that a real estate agent should know potential values that are coming to a neighborhood or maybe if they're leaving a neighborhood. So making that price purchase and understanding its, its full value content. Okay, the next one is um, looking at the due diligence process. Okay, now the due diligence is like making sure that the house and your deal and the transaction is going to work appropriately. So in this process, we're going to be looking at things like um, potential red flags, oil tanks, termites, asbestos. And now you might be saying, well, I'll just get a home inspector and we'll make sure that we cover all our bases there. Coming from a guy who spent 10 years in the home inspection industry, I can promise you that there's 99.9%, at least in the Kamloops market, that there is no home inspector that fully evaluates oil tanks, termites, or asbestos. And there's good reason for that. And if you want to check that out, I'm sure there's a podcast previous where I talked about asbestos, termites, and oil tanks, so you can check them out. But for the most part, why would a realtor find them and not a home inspector? Well, a realtor is looking for red flags. And maybe in the vintage of the home, they've had experience with asbestos, or maybe in the area of town, they've had experience with termites, or maybe they know a little bit about uh, what the significance of having an oil tank buried on your property means uh, because they read the last lawsuit that uh, the last real estate agent missed in the process, and they're very aware of the potential hazards that you could take on. You know, I don't even know why you would want to buy a property uh, without the help of a real estate agent, but. Normally, it's something like this. Well, we're going to save the commission somehow. So let me ask you this: If you're purchasing a property and you're running it solo, who do you think is saving the commission? You might get the idea that you know you're not paying it, so therefore, you know you're saving it. But the truth is, the seller's not listing the property because they intend to keep that commission, or they assume that that's where it's going to go. I would argue that you know people that list their house privately probably leave a lot of money on the table. For various reasons, but um, as a buyer, hire a real estate agent, just do it. Okay. Um, The third step in that realtor's objective is, is probably a really important one that gets overlooked the most by uh, people that aren't working with agents. And that's understanding the title. Okay. The title could have implications that you can't physically see. For instance, an easement running down your driveway, right? Maybe you don't own the driveway. Maybe it's, an, maybe it's an unregistered easement and you don't legally have access to your home. Maybe there is a covenant in your neighborhood that doesn't allow you to build a detached structure or have a basement suite. And uh, you have full intentions on following through with one of, the, one of these objectives. These are things that a real estate agent can help you with. Now, I can almost for 100% say that in my experience with dealing with people who have either been through the process of buying a home without a real estate agent, they've had no idea even what a title charge is. So they've just fallen ass backwards into a transaction. They have no idea what the implications of those mean. Um, there's another section here called the renegotiation section. Now, typically when you're buying a house, you're going to make an offer. You're going to set some terms and some dates and some conditions. And uh, you're going to start doing your due diligence, which usually takes, you know, 7, 10, 14 days, something along those, that time frame. And that's where you're going out and evaluating your home, hiring your home inspector, maybe getting a termite guy in, uh, checking with the insurance company, doing all that due diligence, you might find some surprises. And you might not know what to do with those surprises. They might turn you off the property. And um, this is where the renegotiation step comes in because you might be able to renegotiate those problems, those deficiencies out of the price of the purchase. Now, you might figure that you can do that on your own, but you might also find that it's a lot easier to have a strategy to implement that, okay? Um, The last one, which is probably the most important tool that an agent brings to a transaction is writing an enforceable contract. Now, what this means is, And I've talked to people who've said, you know, I had a deal on this property. You know, a guy was selling by himself and, you know, we did a handshake deal and we talked about, you know, checking the property out. So we decided we're going to get a home inspector in. And and the next thing I know, he just didn't want to sell it to me. Well, that really sucked. I thought we had a deal. You know, we shook hands and everything. Well, that's kind of the objective of writing an enforceable contract. It means coming to terms and an agreement that is enforceable by law. And that's really what you want to do if you're going to go spend some money, um, organize financing from a bank to get a mortgage, uh, tell your family that you're moving to the other side of town, renting a U-Haul truck, and then the guy just tells you up and right, no, actually, I don't want to sell it because I, I think I might be uh, leaving some money on the table and the neighbor over there said he'd give me another 50 grand. So why do you want to use a realtor? Uh, there's a number of reasons that I probably haven't touched on. These are just some of the, the delicate ones that I'd like to, kinda, to bring forth. Okay, moving on. We're talking about the top 10 mistakes made by first-time homeowners. Okay? Not choosing the right real estate agent. Not doing the right homework before choosing a real estate agent. Okay? And let me tell you what I mean. Uh, There's a couple things that you need to know. You need to have a good fit with your real estate agent. Okay? And what I mean by that is you need to make sure they're going to be able to communicate with you properly. You need to make sure that they're going to communicate, period. You need to make sure that they're not going to be assuming that you know things that just comes naturally to them, okay? You you, you wouldn't buy a Harley Davidson from a guy who, who's never driven a motorcycle and drives a lowered Honda Civic. So you probably want to make sure that whatever property you're buying, the real estate agent has extremely good knowledge of that product, okay? Let me give you an example. If you're buying an apartment, you're buying a Strata property, you're going to want to Get an agent that understands what a depreciation report is, what strata rules mean, okay? Understanding what having unit entitlement means. So you're going to want to make sure that you do that due diligence before you jump into a real estate agent, okay? If you're buying an investment property, you probably want to use a real estate agent that has had similar investment properties, okay? You need to have an agent that knows what return on your investment means, how debt service ratios work. Okay, they need to have an intricate knowledge of the rental market in the current area that you're buying in. And and another good one would be rural property. You know, if you're if you're buying rural, um, not everybody specializes in understanding what what the implications of septic systems, uh, drawing water from the ground. Um, it's it's way more important to understand uh, property boundaries in rural areas. You know, it's easy in the city. You know, you drive down the street and every fence is pretty close to where the survey should be, but on rural properties, when you're buying acreages, uh, half of it goes up a mountain, you want to make sure that that's correct. Understanding fire protection. Here's one that got a client of mine recently, understanding archeological dig sites and the consequences of buying a property on them. So you want to make sure that you have a good fit with your agent. And the best way to do this is to interview real estate agents don't just pick the first one that comes up. You know, don't just go to an open house um, and the first guy that shakes your hand and smiles, well, I got me an agent, we're good to go. Ask him questions. Make sure he's the right fit, okay? You want to make sure you work with someone who's got a, an extremely good plan, okay? The way I always talk about it, uh, your real estate agent is the quarterback for the purchase process, okay? They should be understanding every play, every move before it happens, Okay. And in order to do that, they have to have a good team. Find out who your agent's team is. You know, lawyers, inspectors, uh specialists, you know, that are gonna do the fine-tuning inspections if you find problems. Um need to know who their, you know, maybe their handymans are, or if they have a you know, if they work with builders, you know, what's the reputation like? Uh you know, I've heard real estate agents say this before. Um, you know, you need a home inspector. Yeah, I can't make a recommendation for you. That'd be a conflict of interest. Forget about that. You're hiring a real estate agent because you want to know the ins on the trades and the specialists and the inspectors and the lawyers that you're going to be using. So you want to make sure your your, uh, real estate agent has a great team. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing that comes second to expertise and knowledge of the industry. So you want to do some due diligence, do your homework on uh, choosing a realtor. And by the way, this is not something first-time homebuyers make mistakes on. This is something everybody can make a mistake on. Okay, number three. Uh, We're talking about mistakes made by uh, first-time homeowners and everyone else, by the way. This one is love at first sight. Okay, so you've just toured the bad neighborhood with the cheaper houses, and you've just walked into your first house that's had a, a nice kitchen renovation. And man, it looks good. It looks real good inside. And you fall in love with it. And you wonder maybe why it's been on the market for 175 days. But you just got to have that house. You fall in love with it. I, I get that there's uh, some appeal that can be made to specific houses. But I would suggest, and it's this market-dependent, you know, in the market that we're in right now, you just can't go lollygagging around on the weekends looking for houses. One comes on the market, you like it, you got to take a run at it, but uh, love at first sight, this is a killer sometimes because you may end up falling in love with the first house you see and you may never explore the other subdivision or you may never explore the uh, rancher style as opposed to the two-story that had the great view that you just came from. You know, make sure you, you've tested the field a little bit and you've, you've seen a few houses before you. Jump on the bandwagon for getting on one. Okay, next one. This one can get really ugly, okay? Choosing a fixer-upper as your next big project and underestimating the entire ordeal. This can get really, 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 really ugly. If you don't have any experience renovating a home, if you've never you know, changed a bathtub or a toilet or you've renovated a kitchen before, you could very likely be in for a very disturbing surprise. It takes a lot of work. And there are unexplained, unexplored problems that you can run into. And there's always hiccups. Everybody hates hiccups. But the truth is, there's hiccups in any project that you're going to be uh, tackling. And you need to have the kind of uh, mental state to be able to overcome them. And you need to have enough experience to be able to satisfy the problems. And uh, what I don't want to see happen is you tackle a great big project and you end up getting nowhere on it. And at the end of the day, you just, you're disgusted with the house, disgusted with your first transaction on a piece of real estate. And in the end, you've probably wasted a lot of time, effort, energy, and you don't get your money back. So that's a fail. Okay. Now this next one can be avoided just by simply having a great real estate agent, but not getting pre-approved for a mortgage before you start house shopping that's a bad one. That's a really bad one. Cause you can get drifted into the wrong price range very, very easily. Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, you might think, okay, I think we should buy a home and your partner says, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's, let's start shopping. And so you start dabbling online and you start looking at properties uh, virtually online and you come across one. You think, oh, look at this one. This is a beautiful house in the great part of town. You could just envision our kids going to school at that local school. We should call the real estate agent. We should go take a look at this. Okay. So you call the real estate agent, you get out to the house and you look at it and you love it. Okay. The problem is you haven't been pre-approved and that real estate agent may be trying so damn hard to get you into that property because that's how real estate agents make money by selling, um, that they never get to the point of pre-qualifying you financially. And the problem is the property might be $650,000 and your bank says, uh, uh, you're only pre-qualified for 400 That could be a really big problem. So the steps that you're going to take when you're purchasing a property, first things first, go find a really good real estate agent because everything else will be easier from that point on. Um, and they probably have a really good team member that could help you get pre-approved. But let me elaborate on the pre-approval process a little bit. When you get pre-approved for a mortgage, You're getting pre-approved by you, the ability to finance, sorry, the ability to service the debt that's potentially coming your way. So if it's a 600 or a $700,000 house, a pre-approval is just stating, yeah, if all else is good, if the house is good, you could qualify for that amount of money. Okay. The reason you build a financing clause into your contract is because once you have a contract in place, your bank needs to approve everything. They need to approve you, they need to approve the house, and they need to approve the process of you owning that house and the debt that you'll carry with it, okay? Some houses may may have more debt attached to them, even if they're the same price, right? They might have higher tax brackets. They might be in different parts of the subdivision. There could be like uh, civil issues with that property. A bank might qualify that, hey, wait a minute, you don't even really have a really good heating system here. This is going to cost you more per month, So you're no longer qualified to buy a house at 700 that has an electric heating system because it's too expensive. So getting pre-approved is just a number. That means you can service that number. And then a full approval is when you have a house to go with that approval. Okay. So get pre-approved. Like most of the things I've said today, they can all be fixed with a great real estate agent. But anyways, we're moving on. Um, You find a property, you've never made an offer before. And so you start the art of negotiations with a really low, low, low number. And you think, well, we can always go up. So depending on the market and the conditions that market is having on its listings, you might find that you're really pissing people off with a really low offer. Okay. And sellers already have it in their head that if they're listed at 555,000 bucks, they might be thinking, all I'm ever going to take is 550. And you come in at 487 and you think, well, if I start lower, it'll end lower. And all the seller says is, you're just wasting my time. And they might not respond to you, okay? Furthermore, they might hold a grudge against you. And you might come back with another negotiation that they would actually start to negotiate, but they just won't deal with you. That could be a real problem. The other issue is when you're negotiating in a hot market like we're in right now, if you start too low, you're wasting time. Because what's going to happen is, is the seller is still going to continue to show the property. And while you're waiting for a response from them, they got four other people have come into the house and someone else is coming in for the better offer. And you never get, you never get to take a full stab at that property. So take the advice of a real estate agent when you make that first offer. And for heaven's sakes, don't start too low unless, unless the house you know, requires it. But that's, a, that's, that's something that needs a little bit more due diligence on. Okay, this other one only really applies to first-time home buyers, in most cases, I would say. Um, but you've told your friends, you've told your family, you told mom, you told dad, hey, listen, we're going to buy a house. Uh, it's time for us to, uh, you know, wise up and enter the real estate market. And the first thing they do is they tell you what you should buy and how much you should spend, and they're going to tell you which neighborhood to live in, and they're, and they're basing on that on all good. It's just coming from a good place. The problem is, is it's coming from a good place that's applicable to them. And so I say, be very careful. I don't want to say don't take advice from your parents, family, and friends. But I want to say, be really careful about the advice you take. Because you may have the idea, hey, I'm going to go move into a little bit more rural subdivision because I kind of like being close to recreation. And that might not be... You know, your coworker or your, your, your aunt or your cousin, the one you spend most of your uh, leisure time with, that might not be their objective for you. They might think, you know what? You got to be close to the schools, man. When you have kids, you don't want to be driving those kids all day. And that might be relative to something that they had in their life, the, the experience that they don't like. But um, yeah, just be really careful about the advice you take. All right, this one's a tough one to get over, but um, cold feet. The cold feet blues, okay? So this is almost, this is almost something that I could foresee when I'm dealing with a first-time homebuyer is that they'll shop some properties and they'll make an offer on a property and as soon as the, the ink is drying and it's, it's time to get going on due diligence, it all becomes very real. Wow. I just spent $500,000 on, on a townhouse. And they get cold feet and they pull out. And that property might have been a great property for them, but it just the all the excitement, you know, the highs of the negotiation process uh have all come down to a, a grueling low and the fear that for the next 25 years you're going to be making payments on something that you, you now you're not too sure if that's what you want. And I I don't think there's a cure for this. I don't think this is a mistake. You can say, hey, don't do it because it's inevitable. But uh, cold feet. One of the big mistakes that first time homeowners make is they get cold feet. And it might be just emotional, it may not be a strategic move. Be careful. Okay, we're nearing the end. Um, We're so close. Number nine, choosing a bank without even interviewing a mortgage broker. And I thought, I'm going to bring in a specialist for this. So we bring in our in house mortgage specialist, Sarah Park for Mortgage Alliance. Thank you, Sarah, for coming in. Um, We're talking about top 10 things that first-time homebuyers kind of like hiccups, so okay. to speak. Okay. Um, have you, does this feel like a mistake to make uh, by going into a bank because you deal with Royal Bank and not even giving a mortgage broker a shot?
1: Yeah, I feel like it's a mistake in lots of different ways. Um, Parker has just come by my office and thrown this on me. So um, Sorry about that. a prime example is I just had some clients who just pop by my office um they had gone to a big bank they didn't fit within the big bank's sort of box of rules um so they only have three days left for subject removal so we quickly took an application and then there's a couple of my lenders who they don't fit in their box either but then there's a couple who do so instead of them having a large panic attack um we're able to get them approved somewhere rather than a straight decline and then done deal three days three days that's awesome
0: yeah So let's, let's back it up a bit. What would be the key point that comes from that?
1: Right. So the key point is to come in and see a mortgage broker first so that you have all of the options. Uh, we still deal with credit unions, TD bank, Scotiabank, lots of different mortgage companies. Um, so at least it's kind of like seeing a travel agent. Like you don't just go and book on air Canada. Right. You go to Expedia. You look. You see. Oh, we got Air Canada. We got WestJet. We got Air Transat. You see who's got the best price, so we can shop around and get you the best rate. And then we see who's got the best flight times as well.
0: Right. So you still might end up on the same trip.
1: Totally. You might still be flying on Air Canada, but at least you
0: had the option to look at all valid, all valid options,
1: all valid options, and especially in a market like this where. You know, you don't have a lot of time for subject removals. You don't have a lot of time to be going from bank to bank to bank. We do the shopping around and find you the right spot.
0: And who gets paid? Do did, did the buyers have to pay?
1: No, the buyers don't have to pay. So mortgage brokers work on commission. So we're fully commission-based. If we get you a mortgage set up, the lender we set you up with pays us a referral fee. So we're fully commission-based. If we don't get you approved for a mortgage, then we don't get paid.
0: Excellent. Okay. Mm-hmm. One more thing I want to touch on. Mm-hmm Um, because this is also something that I've seen personally in my life, and so I want to bring a point to this. It's a valid, valid point. Um, Choosing a mortgage based on only its rate.
1: Right. So, yeah, that's a big thing. Everyone's calling around. Sometimes you get the guy who's called every bank in town, every broker, to see what the... Absolute bottom lowest rate is. Um, it's not always the best option. Everybody buys thinking they'll live in this house forever, and that, that never happens. You know, they have five kids and they need to move. They get divorced. They get a better job. They want to upgrade. So, they want to move to Cantlubs. They want to move to Cantlubs, where all the sunshine is. So, sometimes that low, low bottom of the barrel interest rate will cost you so much more. If you have to pay it out early, the prepayment penalty will be large on it. Um, They don't have as many prepayment options on it. You can't port it to the next house. So say I get you a 1.59 five-year fixed interest rate, and then you want to move to the other side of the city, Um, but you want to keep your rate? Well, it was a rock-bottom rate, so we can't take it with you, whereas you could have got 1.69, and it was portable, and you can take it with you.
0: Right, and you never know what life's going to throw at you.
1: I'm telling you, there's, I haven't seen a lot of my clients in 14 years live in the same house for 14 years Seven like and a half. they
0: Seven and a half years. That's the average Canadian uh, lifespan in a home.
1: Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Ah, okay.
0: There you go.
1: Yeah, I would say every three or four, um, my clients come back. They're moving. They're separating. They're, they're doing things.
0: They're connecting with others.
1: Others, yes. Others. All Sweet. the Tinder, Tinder machines, <laughs> they're connecting with others.
0: That's Sarah Park, Mortgage Alliance, located right here at 800 Seymour Street. Thanks for coming in, Sarah. Thank you. This is about the all-time worst thing you can do as a first-time homebuyer. Next to not picking a great real estate agent. I think I mentioned that already. But um, getting overwhelmed and deciding to quit. Uh, One of the most, the greatest wealth-generating things that we can do as Canadian citizens is to buy a home. We're not all going to be, you know, Jeff Bezos and come up with the next great, you know, the next great internet money generating machine. So you have to be very realistic. Okay. You have to live somewhere. You're either going to be paying rent or paying a mortgage. It's your call. The great thing about paying for a mortgage is that asset appreciates. And although some people would debate whether your own home is an asset, uh, coming from a real estate perspective, I would say it is. Because one day you may retire and downsize and now you can start using that asset to your advantage. But the truth is you might get frustrated with the process because you you paid for a home inspection and you found a bunch of ickies in a house and you had to pull out of that deal and maybe you're in a multiple offer situation and it sounds like houses are selling for more than they're even they're asking in a in a market that's quite similar to the one we're in right now. You might get really frustrated with a an agent that doesn't represent you properly or maybe you just don't connect with that real estate agent and it becomes very frustrating to communicate and you just get frustrated and you think forget it. I'm going to stay in the house I'm in. I'm just going to rent for the rest of my life. That's the worst thing you could do. Don't do that one. You can recover from most of these mistakes, but that's the one thing you're not going to recover from. So whatever you do, stick it out. I thank you for listening to the podcast today. I hope that I brought you some value. And I look forward to uh, seeing the likes and the thumbs up and the uh, five-star reviews. Call Parker Bennett now for your complimentary home evaluation.